0: Welcome to Gut Wisdom, a show about work, life, and how to succeed in both. It's radio that resonates. Now, here are your hosts, Deirdre Koppelman and JG John Gasman.
1: How do top performers do less,
2: work better, and achieve more? It's a great question, D. Tonight we have the New York Times best-selling author, Morton Hansen, to enlighten all of us with his wisdoms. And I have a feeling we're all going to be a little surprised. Well, considering the work we do, you are 100% uh, correct. So
1: Morton led a massive research project that reveals how stars at work in dozens of industries actually do their work. The data
2: and analysis will surprise you, change you, and make you better at work. So I'm curious, why do some folks at work perform better than others? We've always wanted to know why. And tonight, that's what Morton's going to cover. Do you think working longer
1: and harder than everyone else is the secret to success? I mean, I remember growing up in the 80s, (laughs) the 90s, or working in the 80s and the 90s. It was all about the harder you work, the longer you work, you show up. You have to be seen by that corner office. Absolutely. You know, paying your dues and hanging out and all the grunt work. And does it really pay off? I don't know. I think it's a little different.
2: I think it always did. But after reading and understanding more, actually, Dee, this is going to be amazing because Morton conducted a study over 5,000 managers and entrepreneurs and got the results that say just the opposite of what I always thought.
1: Well, then, if you always thought that, I'm sure there are listeners that always thought that. So we've got wisdoms that we can all use how to work smarter instead of harder. Stay tuned for Morton Hansen, ranked as one of the world's top business thinkers Only on Gut Wisdom.
0: WCBS. Delays of two hours plus. With drive time traffic every five minutes. Live from Chopper 880. We're just getting the first look here. Plus all the latest news. Several buildings have been evacuated. WCBS News Radio 880.
1: Joining us tonight is New York Times best selling author of Great by Choice as well as Great at Work, Professor Morton Hansen, professor at UC Berkeley, ranked as one of the world's top business thinkers. I'd like that title one day. <laughs> You're listening to Gut Wisdom. I'm Deirdre Koppelman here with your co-host, John Gassman. And tonight, we are all going to learn how to work smarter and not harder by a UC Berkeley professor. So this is, these are real wisdoms. I'm excited.
2: I'm pumped. <laughs> totally.
1: How are you doing, J.G.? You good?
2: Yeah. I'm, I can't wait to uh, hear the professor debunk Many of the myths that uh, we've all grown up with. Well, let us welcome
1: Professor Morton Hansen. Thick <coughs> round <coughs> of applause. Thank this you, is it's for great everybody to be here. listening. <laughs> Thank you, Morton. So uh, we can call you Morton.
3: Absolutely. Okay.
1: Why is it that so many of us equate more hours worked with better performance? And how is this potentially not good for productivity?
3: It's been a convention that has been there for about 30 or 40 years. That is, the more hours you put in, the more you'll perform. And if you put in the most hours, you will be the top performer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if we look at data, it's just not true. And so we need to think about this differently. And, and now you need to work, you need to put in hours. In my data on average, 50 hours a week, which is hard work. Yeah. But it's not the same as harder work or longer hours. And people are put in 60, even 70 hours, they're not performing better. So we need to get away from this, you know, big conventional wisdom that the more hours you put in, the better we perform. It's just simply not right.
1: Now, you had a, um, did I just jump into your JG question?
2: Uh, it's all good. It's all Ladies good. Ladies
1: first. Okay. You you conducted a study. Can you tell us about that yeah, study? Yeah, I
3: did. I, I'm an academic, so I go to data to find out this um, these answers. And we studied 5,000 people. We drew a sample. And we did a lot of pilots and a lot of sampling beforehand. And we did a survey instrument. And we collected data on work habits, work practices, including hours, but not only hours, of course. And then we had performance measures. And we asked bosses to rate, and we like subordinates to rate. So at the end of the day, we can then look at what are the work practices that really predict higher performance. Mm. And you know, it took me five years to do. Wow. And um, you know, I didn't set out to do fi- fi- five years, <laughs> but that's how it works out, right? It's sure. double the time you think it is going to take. And now we have the answer. I'm really happy to share it with the world.
1: And the, the industries, I'm just curious. Was it across? Yeah, so
3: I, I wanted to have a, a, b- a broad sample. So we have financial services, consumer goods, retail, high-tech, hospitals, uh, you name it. There's even, a, ca- uh, a, ca- there's even a, c- a dealer from casinos in there. I don't know uh, exactly how he got <laughs> in there. But, and then we have uh, senior managers and mid-level and junior people. Interesting. Yeah.
2: Go ahead, JJ. And I think about, like, people that work in the medical field, especially, like, doctors – you yeah. know, They put in crazy hours when they're first in school. And then I think of someone like your daughter who's working for a law firm and others. They work like 80 hours a week. And I wonder how they could be really top performers in their industry with the lack of sleep. I, I can't even uh, address like their eating issues and other things that will impact the way yeah. they work and operate. Yeah. Because top performers, at least I've always thought, you know, get good night's sleep, you get a lot of rest, you eat right. But here it is, you know, you're working harder and you think you're working smarter.
1: Well, there's something about resources also that I think, and and uh, Morton, you'll share with us. We don't really have employees, I would say n- most industries, most. don't really have the ability to choose necessarily what's delegated to them.
3: Yeah, it's interesting. Of course, if you are... Uh, given a lot of things to do by a boss, uh, it's not sort of up to you. But what we found in the data, which is fascinating, we found a number of people that even in junior positions that are taken upon themselves to change their job, change what they did, and do it differently, do this, the job differently, and as a result, performing better. And also being good at pushing back at their bosses that mm-hmm. are giving them too much to do. That ability to push back and to say no in the a, in a right way is a crucial skill in today's hectic workplace. And you're not pushing back because you don't want to do work. Right. You want to go home and just work 30 hours a week. That's not why. But you're pushing back because to do excellent work, you can only focus on a few things. I mean, We know this from my research and other pieces of research. If you want to do exceptional work, you have to limit the, the number of things you do. And communicate. And if you communicate effectively by
1: acknowledging, you would like me to do a great job. Mm -hmm. I would like to do a great job. I'm a high performer. I care. I'm passionate. You trust me with this work. And you also trust me with so many other things. I need your help. Because I won't do
3: all of these things well. Absolutely. So and th- that's th- a way, to, if I'm correct, yeah. to communicate it. It is. And it, that is a skill, that communication skill. And also think in that process, you can put the burden back on the boss. You know, you have given me two projects to do. And now you come around into my cubicle and you give me another one. And you can say, wait a minute, what should I get done first? What are your priorities here? How can we rank these priorities? Yeah, But It's a job. It's a job of the manager, right? To to yeah. rank priorities.
2: Absolutely. And I think about you know those bosses, those visionaries, the entrepreneurs who always have ideas. Mm-hmm. You know, and we know a lot of those people. Yes, I we have do. an idea. Let's. Hey, here's another idea, and here's another right. idea. I know. And the employees, the team gets very nervous because they don't know. The priorities, what direction? So, I think some of the things we've done inside of organizations is give the employee, empower the employee to say to their manager or to their boss, "Is this something you're just thinking about, or is there something mm-hmm. you really want me to do?" Because many of the times, these entrepreneurs, these visioners mm-hmm. they really haven't even thought out what they're what they want to accomplish. They're they're looking for ideas.
3: And, and, and leaders there, they need to be careful because if they are almost like thinking out loud, right? somebody's hearing that and say, oh, he just told me to do that, right? Exactly. So then before you know it, somebody's out doing a pilot on that particular project. But it was just a...
2: It was just a fleeting thought.
3: Exactly. Yeah. So you've got to be careful. I mean, leaders have a great responsibility here. They need to be able to prioritize on the behalf of the organization they lead. Right. And if they cannot do that, mm-hmm. and, and many cannot, I call them do more bosses, these imposters should start with a priority list, and it keeps getting longer and longer and longer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, priorities is suggesting a few things to do, but that list might have 10 things, 15 things, 20 things. And the organization that is trying to execute on all of this are exhausted. Yeah. And they're running in 100 different directions. And it's a collapse of leadership. Yeah. And you mentioned and something And a lack bef- of results. Yes. Yes. You mentioned
1: something before I would like you to go back to about... What you found, uh, one of the things that you found in your research was if an employee is given the opportunity to do their work, what did you say? The way they need to, the way they want to, what did they,
3: you? Th- if they're given the opportunity, to, uh, the autonomy, uh, to figure out how to do this job the best way possible, they will start innovating in that job. They will start doing things that are going to make things so much better. G- and this could happen even at a very junior level. Mm-hmm. To give an example, a nurse in an elderly home, junior nurse, at the, you know, n- not an individual contributor, was concerned that the elderly people in the home were losing weight. They weren't getting the food they needed, which is a problem sure. when you're 80 or 90 years old living in one of these elderly homes. And you could sort of start uh, adding resources. You could say, let's add you know, a nutritionist. Let's come up with a different meal program. Let's get different kinds of food in here. right? All of these will cost money. But instead, this nurse was thinking, wait a minute. What about the timing of the meals that we have? The dinner is served too early. What if we move that dinner by two hours? And then the p- nurse suggested this. And there was a little bit of resistance, like, "Hey, wait a minute! There's going to be some shift problem." No, no, worked it all out. This is going to be totally fine. They moved the dinner time two hours later in the day, and within six weeks, these people at the elderly home were now gaining weight, and they were at the weight that they should be. Interesting. Mm. It Th- reminds me. Think about me, that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know what it reminds me of? We had interviewed the CEO of JetBlue, Robin Hayes, and asked him what was the secret in his culture, because we've been loyal flyers hmm. and we notice his airline is not the one that's in the newspaper or one of the many <laughs> that are in the news. And one of the things that he said, and that's why I wanted to go back to what you were saying, was he gives people empowerment. E- empowerment. Yeah. They don't have to stay in their lane, per se. They Everybody is empowered to think out of the box and do out of the box. Um, and, and and it sounds very similar, and boy, wouldn't that, uh, yes, JG?
2: Well, what that reminds me of is that there's a difference between being in charge versus being in control, you know? How and you if mean? you think about it, being in control, you're dictating, you're a manager, you're telling people how to do things, when to do it, versus being in charge, I think you're re- really empowering mm-hmm. someone to go ahead, you have the autonomy, you have the flexibility, you have the authority to do it the way you want to do it. Yeah. So there's a big differentiation or you can distinguish between, you know, what type of a boss do you have True. simply by how they look at giving you the work. And and if you if you're like that, if you
3: become a manager like that, what will happen is that your employees will find out better ways that you yourself cannot possibly find out. Totally. <laughs> exactly. And they will start <laughs> doing better work and better results. Yeah. And it all aggregates up to you. Because your department or your division will now do better work.
1: And you found this across the board
3: in your study. Yeah, so this was a surprise because, again, I was just looking at the data. I thought, okay, I call it redesign or work innovation. And I thought it was just going to be at the senior level. So Mm -hmm. we looked at our data. What is the percentage of people who are doing this in their job? And I thought it's going to be senior people a lot, junior people not much because they don't have control. Right. We found that is not the case. We found that junior people... Quite a few of them, about 17 percent, are actually performing their job accordingly. Even if they're very junior, they're able to innovate. They're able to find different ways. They don't come in and say, "I'm just going to take my job specification and try to do so that." You like like that's do you think that's a millennial thing? No. So that, well, interesting okay. question. Oh, well, all right. You have because to. to have t- data. <laughs> Let's okay, hold the thought.
1: Hold that thought a second. This is getting and you I. I'm so happy that you are here. So, listeners, listen up. If you're one of the first five listeners to email me at, DK at Gut Wisdom, Uh remember, not while you're driving. We <laughs> have a copy of Morton's book, Great at Work, for you. So, coming up, uh, we want you to stay tuned because I want to hear. You know, there's so much trash talk about millennials in the workplace. They're entitled, they're this, they're that um is it true in the study i mean you looked at over 5000 right over 5000 people so we've got more i want to know how to work smarter not harder
2: and i want to know everything that was in that study i this conversation yeah. is a perfect conversation at this time of the year because you know what, what? companies are looking for profits they're demanding from their isn't employees every, more isn't that every isn't that more time? so today because you could see a lot of people out of work. Yeah. And that really me, and it translates to whoever's left has to do more work.
1: Well, that's so true. All right. So you hold that thought, too. We're coming back. Stay tuned got
0: wisdom. Introducing Play.it, a podcast network like no other. At Play.it, you can hear your favorite WCBS features on demand. In the WCBS eye on politics.
1: I'm Pat Farnack with the WCBS health and well-being report. I'm Steve Greenberg
0: talking about your next job. Hear those and more from WCBS when you need it. Plus, great content from other CBS stations. For the best in news, sports, business, and tips for your lifestyle, go to Play.it today.
2: Joining us tonight is management professor at UC Berkeley. He's co-author with Jim Collins of the New York Times bestseller, Great by Choice, and the author of the highly acclaimed book, Collaboration. Formerly a professor at Harvard Business School, Professor Hansen holds a Ph.D. from Stanford Business School, where he was a Fulbright scholar, and his recent work, which is just to be devoured, called great at work is a. Stu- I don't even. I'm not even going to share too much about what the study is. We'll let, we'll let, we'll the, let professor the, the professor share professor more. Share, yeah. So who better to get to the root of tonight's topic about being great at work? So hey, by the way, I'm John Gassman, A.K.A. J.G. We're here in studio with Deirdre Koppelman, your favorite host from Gut Wisdom. Hello, with
1: a Z. yay, <laughs> and we are so happy to have you here. Oh, uh, it's Professor. Pleasure being here. You are awesome. We we were just saying during the break we could talk for hours.
2: And we're we're data junkies because you know what? Information dictates strategy. That's a line I stole from Deirdre yes. a long time ago. So, to learn to hear what the data shows, that will dictate what we end up doing and how we use it.
1: Totally. So let's go to this research project that you thought would take you less than five years, <laughs> but but took all of five years, 5,000 subjects. What did you find out about working smarter, working harder, what percentages of people are doing what? How, how? Share with us. Yeah,
3: so there is, uh, it, it debunked a lot of myths and surprises to me because you come in with certain ideas yeah. and they are overturned, yeah. right? And so we found, first of all, we found that seven principles really explain most of the performance difference between these uh, 5,000 people. Only seven. In fact, they explained 66% of the difference between uh, the performance of these 5,000 people. Really? So the, the, the great news for everyone is if you want to improve at work and how you're doing work, you don't have to improve on 200 different pieces of advice. If you can concentrate on the seven, they're not exclusively. They didn't explain 100%, but they explain 66%. That's pretty good. But these seven will really help you along the way. And mm. they are? Well, so we can go through all of the seven. Yes, let's go uh, through I can the d- seven. I can sort of give the headline, and then we can yeah. dig deeper. Um, so the first four, uh, th- there are two bu- 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 buckets. Uh, the first four are uh, mastering your own work. And the first one is do less than obsess. Concentrate on a few things and go all in on those few things. The second is redesign work. Uh, Innovate. Change how you're doing it. Um, Challenge the status quo. Find better ways to doing those few things better. The third one is what I call the learning loop. Continue developing and being better than you were the day before. And it's not mindless practice. The 10,000 hour rule yes. is kind of wrong because it's just mindless repetition. I'm doing something 10,000 times that doesn't make perfect. Practice does not make perfect. Perfect practice makes perfect. Sh- exactly. So, what is that? At work, I call it the learning loop. And then, what drives you? Is it the paycheck only? That doesn't provide great work in the long term. It is the combination of passion and purpose. But I do have something to say about passion. Passion can get you down the wrong path. And we've got to be careful with passion. We can talk about that. But those are the four things that really master your own work. But as we know in the workplace, you work with others. (laughs) You (laughs) you don't achieve alone. You achieve with others for the most part. (laughs) We hope. Right? We, we strive to do that. And so you've got to learn that. You've got to learn to work with others. And right. the three other principles are directed at that. The first one I call being a forceful champion. You need to learn how to advocate for your ideas. In other words, you need to learn how to inspire people, to get them excited about what you're trying to accomplish so they will support you. But you also need to be able to persuade, being a little bit of a politician in the sense of figuring out what are the obstacles, who are in opposition to you in a large company because they're out, th- out there. They're the naysayers. Maybe they have different agendas. They're not bad people. They just want to get something else done, and your stuff is in their way. So you are got to figure out how to work with people who are not necessarily aligned with you. And then the last principle is what I call disciplined collaboration. And here I have a surprise. Collaboration is sort of the big buzzword today. Yes. We treat it like dental floss. <laughs> it's a good thing, and more of it is better. <laughs> and more is not better when it comes to collaboration. It is not like flossing your teeth. Interesting. Right? We need to discipline. The companies today are, in many ways, over-collaborating. They're doing too many collaboration projects. And then they're done in, in very incomplete ways. It sort of becomes your night shift. I have a day, sh- day shift, which is my normal work, and then I'm going to collaborate uh, at night. Yeah. And then I sit on conference calls with this co- so-called team at 9 o'clock on Sunday night. It's uh, wrong. We need fewer collaboration, and we need them better done. So these are the seven principles in a very, very brief summary of them.
1: Wow. I don't know where to begin. Uh, one thing I'd like to,
3: to ask you is I want
1: to go back to the passion. Because another big buzzword, other you know, in addition to collaboration engagement? and at some point engagement yeah. and disengagement, uh-huh. uh, which I have a theory on, mm. d- has anybody listening not heard? Find your passion. <laughs> Follow your passion. Find your why. Find your why. Mm-hmm. Follow the cheese. You know, all the, <laughs> uh, whatever that was. What's my cheese? Well, I don't even remember what that, move the cheese. Who moved who, the cheese? Who moved the cheese? <laughs> <laughs> right, all right. these books, yes. these books, yeah. the books, the books. But it's all about passion. And you're saying, if we heard you correctly... No, simple. Passion can get you do in trouble. Do not
3: follow your passion. Do not follow your passion is what the passion. finding is. So let's. Oh, think we about have to
1: get off the radio right now. Right, <laughs> so
3: let's. Le- well, let's think about it. What that means. Yeah. Let's So if it. you go to a um, con- commencement speeches on campuses, so I'm at Berkeley, so we have sure. those there. Basically, the 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 speaker will come up and say, "Follow your passion. Find what you love and do that." Sure. But follow your passion. It really means let passion dictate what you should do. Regardless of other considerations, Hmm. because if you start to be a pragmatist and say, "I need a safe salary. I need to do other things," you're not following your passion anymore, right? It's something else. So that's why it's wrong, because if that is the only consideration you have in life, then you're not taking into account other things that that matter, and that is doing what contributes, because passion really is about excitement. It was the world can give you, in terms of your own excitement. It's a hedonistic quality, if you think about it. It is, sure. But work is not about just making yourself fulfilled. It is also what can you contribute to the world? Absolutely. Ah. What, are, what are your contributions that are oriented towards so others' benefits? So, in fact, that's, that's really... That's what you need. That's a paradigm shift. Yes. You, need that, you can call that purpose. You can call it do what contributes. You can call it creating value in your job. And if you can do that, then... You ideally want to find something that has both passion and contributions. Right. Right? That's the best combination. Our right. top performers have data had both. But if you had to pick, and I tell my students this, and this is what my data show, purpose or, or doing what contributes matters more than passion. So I tell my student the following. You know, you're told to go out and find your passion. I have a different question for you. What is your personal purpose statement? What are you going to make that is unique for you and that you can contribute and if you contribute to others and create value, you're going to be the last one to get fired. Yeah. You People are going to say, this person is valuable. I'm going to stick with that person.
1: And and in all fairness, uh, your students are how old,
3: Professor? They are m- I don't know if they're still m- millennials. Where do we define yeah, – where okay. do we start that? Or well there's some may other they category. They, may be, they, may they are d- 25, right. 27, so maybe 30 uh, All the graduates students. So they're young.
1: How many and, and we know the answer to this question because we 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 see this in workplaces. We see we work with this demographic quite a bit. Do they really know what they're passionate about? No, no. And so when we talk about disengagement, which I'd love to hear your thoughts on, so many times, first of all, employee disengagement, there are a, a Numbers out there that are astounding. How many employees are disengaged? They are not passionate. They're not interested. They're just unhappy employees. And very often, where does the finger get pointed? Up,
3: right? Absolutely, and you, lea- and you leave.
1: And you leave. And you leave. Now, the question is, why isn't anybody looking internally?
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, well, maybe it's not
3: so much the manager, the leader, the atmosphere. Maybe it's right. me. Well, I- I- if I come to work and I say, I've been told to look for passion, and then I start working and I say, wait a minute, they're not giving me the passion. Where, the, where is my passion here? They're not, they're not g- making me fulfilled. They're doing something wrong. I'm disengaged. I leave. As opposed to coming into work and saying, how can I contribute here? And since I'm starting out as a junior, you know, it's going to be a small contribution. It's not going to be exactly what I want to do, but I'm going to find it. And over time, I'm going to make it better and better contributions. And now you're contributing to others, to the world, right? And, and by contributions, so you I becau- really mean... So you're a giver. Yeah, your giver to, to organizations and to customers. Uh, I mean, not contributing to the promotion of your boss. That's sort of like just catering to your boss's need. That's sure. not contributions in a no. large sense. But it is what Adam Grant said in his book, Give and Take, to be a giver. And Adam had a fantastic way of, of saying that and putting that. But if you are like that, people are going to notice that you are creating value for the organization and the customers of that organization. That's what we need to orient our energy
1: so would you say, based on your research, if you empower people to contribute in an innovative way, that is that true? Is that what you found? Will
3: that will improve the results of that person, the performance of that person who's doing that job. Then you and So this ahead. is what the data shows. I mean, it's, it, it's we're not talking because these are nice things. Because I looked at just one thing. What leads to better performance? And you would think that managers and leaders, they want better performance out of people working in their organization. Definitely. Right? Definitely. And people themselves want that. Yes. Sure. Right? It's not the only thing, but it's a very important thing. And people who have that contribution mindset and also passion they perform in our data set 18 percentiles higher than others and so to, and and do just think about that we like we all take in sort of sat test and we land in a certain percentile sure. right yes. you are the 19th percentile okay that's pretty good right but um, 18 percentiles better you know moves you from about 72 which is not so good to 90 It's the difference between being excellent and just merely good in your job. It's huge. It's a very big difference. Yeah. It's a very, very... And so uh, then I was thinking, why is that? What is it these people who have this purpose-passion combination? And I dug into my data, and I was thinking, well, maybe they're just working longer hours, right? Because they're so passionate, and they have this purpose. They want to (laughs) contribute. So they are the ones sitting there at night. But it's not the case. It's not the hours, and so I was perplexed and saying, So what is it? And so we did a pretty fancy statistical analysis and we figured out is their energy per hour worked? Mm. It's completely different. They come to work and they sit in meetings or by themselves and they plumb- apply more energy. They're more focused. They're more concentrated. They're more into the work. They're, they're more detailed. Finding meaning and, meaning and purpose. And being in the flow, right? In the being zone. flow. Great. Right? That's yes. what they are. So they make the most out of every hour worked. Isn't that wonderful? As to it's supposed to be working 80, 90 th- hours of drudgery. I mean, think
1: about how many times e- <coughs> e- even we've done it where you start walking around and you're getting distracted and you're sort of procrastinating and staying away from it some. I mean, those are hours worked too that are not productive, right. not uh, contributory absolutely. hours. And
3: three hours
2: can go by and you have done nothing.
1: Ex- uh-huh. look,
2: at, look at an athlete. You know, they have mm-hmm. a game day. Mm-hmm and the rest of the time it's practice or it's a free day. But their game day is a very short, focused, mm-hmm. meaningful period of time yeah. where they're looking to get the ultimate result. Yes, And that's what it comes down to, I think, is as you said, mm-hmm. saying no, being focused, and meaning and purpose with well, passion.
1: These seven uh, attributes, I would say, would yeah. you call them attributes in your Yeah, study? I call them
3: key practices because everybody can learn to master them.
1: Yeah. But you're not born we with this, I so
3: you don't have, there's not a talent that gives you one more than the other. Uh, I mean, maybe you have some natural inclinations, but we can learn. So I call I'd like practices. to take this assessment that he did for the research. I want to be the 5001 <laughs> person. You <laughs> know, we did a reduced <laughs> version that you can find on my website that has t- only 20 ah, questions oh as opposed oh. to the full Great. battery. Okay. And tell I tell invite us your people website. to do that quiz. What is your website? It is mortonhanson.com. And Morton Hansen, spell it with the E's, M-O-R-T-E-N-H-A-N-S-E-N.com, and you'll find my quiz right there. And we've done something else. You can benchmark yourself against my full data set of 5,000 people. Where do you stand? That's it. I can't believe you just said that. JG's running. And he (laughs) will do
1: Is can you only take it one time?
3: No, you can take it multiple times. Oh. Well, I'm going to use different names. Count on it. Oh, I I like, see. To, w- I <laughs> <laughs> I like to trick
1: the assessments. You're so, you're take good it over time trying. and see how you improve. I want, when we come back, I want to talk about <laughs> doing less and not obsessing um, because I don't know how to necessarily do less without obsessing. And I think our listeners might get some value out of that. So listeners, listen up. This is a fun night. We have five copies of Professor Hansen's book, great at work. And if you want to work smarter and not harder, and if you're one of the first five listeners, who doesn't, right? If you're one of the first five listeners to email me at DK at gut wisdom, Remember, not while you're driving. It is yours for free because you are listening to Gut Wisdom. Stay tuned for more Wisdoms.
0: When you're on the train, it doesn't mean you're out of touch. Listen to WCBS on your phone or tablet. We're streaming live 24-7 with the news you need to know. Go to radio.com or cbsnewyork.com, and you'll stay informed on your way to and from the office with WCBS news Radio 880.
1: Joining us tonight is management professor at UC Berkeley. He once co-authored a book with Jim Collins. Wow which is quite incredible. But on his own, New York Times bestseller, another book, Great by Choice. I know everybody wants to know who this is. Author of the highly acclaimed book, Collaboration. And now, ladies and gentlemen, drum roll, please. We have Professor Morton, who, is, uh, who just authored Great at Work. And uh, formerly, I believe, a professor at Harvard Business School. Professor Hansen holds a PhD from Stanford Business School and I have to tell you something. You seem so humble, Professor Morton. So we're going to get these wisdoms of this incredible research study that, that you did that took five years um, that can help us work smarter, not harder. And we're so happy to have you in studio tonight. I'm Deirdre Koppelman here with your co-host, JG, John Gasman. You're listening to Got Wisdom, Radio That Resonates. We're back and we are just going to fly because we want to know every wisdom that you can share with us, Professor Hansen. So welcome.
2: Thank you. All it's right. Great being here.
1: Thank you. So t- oh, go ahead, J.G.
2: No, I think we should talk about this obsession issue. Yeah. You're so, obsessed with work.
1: Well, I'm obs- I'm obsessed about a few things. Yeah. But, uh, um, Professor, here's a question. Because you talked about seven principles that came out of this study, right, which you can find the results, of course, in Great at Work, and, um, one of them was do less, don't obsess.
3: Uh, do less, then obsess.
1: Ah, mm. do less, then obsess. Explain it. What it right. tell us yes. about this principle?
3: So, the first part it has two parts to it. Is to do less. That means find very very few things you want to focus on and 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 prioritize those and say no to everything else. Right? Is the ability. Mm to really narrow your scope of your work. Is. And these are the things that matters. That's about choice. It's about choosing a set of priorities. But then you also need to do the second part, which I call obsessing. You need to go all in on those things. You need to spend time and effort and fanatic attention to details to do exceptional work in those few things. And that combination is what leads to best performance. Now, in my data, I had people who only did the first thing. Right, we're told to focus. So they focused. They chose a few priorities. Right. But then they didn't obsess. They were sort of average effort. And they did no better than all the others who didn't focus. So you need to do both parts to be a, a stellar performer. So focusing is not just about choosing it is also about obsessing. And a lot of people miss that last part. It sounds a little harsh, and I chose that wor- word really on purpose because I want to get the message across. Yeah, You can't just be sitting around and focusing. You're also going to be obsessing. And the reason is that there are some people are doing more. They're not focusing. They're doing five projects. You're doing three. Well, if they are doing five or you're, you're doing those three, but you're not doing those three really well because you're not obsessing, that person is going to do better than you. That's going to be the top performer, yeah. not you. So you got to do ah, exceptional that, now work. makes sense. Now that's it makes the way
2: it, it works, right? Got it. So what are the practices, What, or let me say it this way, what practices have an impact on the risk of having burnout?
3: Uh, that's a great question. So I studied, you know, wh- why do some people perform better than others? And we found yeah. the seven principles. But then I asked the question, well, if you follow these seven principles, are you then going to ruin your life in the process, right? Sacrifice <laughs> your uh, Private life because you want to have a career and be a star performer, right? So we put that to the test. And we looked at three things, work-life balance, burnout, and job satisfaction. And it turns out that if you master this seven principle, you will do better on those three counts. You will have less chance of burnout. This principle, do less and obsess, really predicts lower chance of burnout. And it makes sense. 100%. Right? Because if you cannot focus... What happens is that you have to do many things. Yeah. And we know that if you're juggling many things, uh, it's stressful because you have to have all these priorities in your head and you're afraid of, of dropping the ball on something. Yeah, And you have to have a conference call at 9 o'clock at night on a Sunday. <sighs> and you're burning out. Yeah. So that is one thing that really drives burnout the people are just their plate is too full there are too many things going on yeah.
1: so here I- uh, so, so interesting yeah, yeah. And, and
2: again top <coughs> performers you look at anyone that's an athlete and I always think of the uh, the, the folks like a Michael Phelps you know who's, a, who's a, a, a gold medalist swimmer he focused day and night on his swimming and he ups- he said no to other things focused on mm-hmm. swimming and he obsessed is the word you're using over how he did things, fanatical mm. detail, mm. and the way he performed. And that's what made him a great swimmer. Tiger Woods, amazing golfer, probably the, the best-known golfer out there. He had coaches constantly helping him focus right on his swing, his putt, his, where he was in his head, what he would eat, how he would exercise. He said no to everything, and he obsessed with the details. So
1: that also plays into it doesn't have to be 10,000 hours.
2: Yes, exactly.
3: So Mm -hmm. it's interesting because I think we can learn from athletes to do some of the things that they do. Yes, They do one thing, and they do it exceptionally well. Now There have been some research, not mine, but research done on athletes and performing artists. And it's by Anders Ericsson, who had been studying this thing called deliberate practice. And, and it's sort of where the 10,000 hours rule come from, but it's a bit of a misreading of his research because what matters is the quality of the practice. And yeah. he found that a star athlete, they actually do intense concentrated practice only about four hours a day, now it sounds a lot for us because right. you, are we going to be <laughs> swimming for four hours? <laughs> no. no, but if thats you're you're a professional, that's what you do. Now of course, you do some other kind of practice, but that intense practice where you're completely focused, where you get constant feedback, you do a you hit the golf ball and you measure the outcome and the coach is standing there and saying you got to tinker with it this tiny little bit, you do it again and, and it's, it's the quality of that feedback loop. I call it the learning loop at work. And Athletes are very good at that. And it's the quality of your learning at
2: work that matters. And we are really bad at it in the Why workplace. are we so bad so at, we at well can let it? Yeah, can s- I interject a point? So maybe time management is really about event management more than anything else. Not focusing on, okay, here, here's all the mm-hmm. things I need to do, eight hours mm-hmm. in a day. It's really about what am I going to focus on? What is the, the, the event mm-hmm. that I'm going to focus on? I, I like that. Yeah. That's a
3: great way of putting it. Um, I think what is wrong wrong about work is that um, we don't apply this learning loop. And yeah, So let's think about it. A learning loop requires feedback. Okay, I did something. I tried to run a meeting. And then I need to get feedback. How was the meeting run? And then I modify my approach. Right? We don't have it. We have something ridiculous that is called the annual performance evaluation. <laughs> yep. I like to say it. If oh. you are the coach of Roger Federer, the, the tennis star, Imagine if he had an annual feedback session with Roger, where he was saying, "Okay, Roger, we're sitting down now. I'm observing you serving for a year now, and I think next year could you actually serve a little bit toward the left? (laughs) (laughs) I think you would do better next year." (laughs) Is that absurd? uh, Well, of course, it's absurd.
1: It's antiquated. We first of all, some uh, some companies. Don't even measure performance. That's there are no, there point. are no evaluations yes. of performance in some companies. Then you have, and I, we see this in our own business, and try to correct this for clients. You then you see the performance evaluations that are uh, good, bad, you know, average, excellent, mm-hmm. and they sit down and, quite frankly, nobody's listening on the other side. They just want to hear if they're getting a raise and by how much. Exactly. You know, how does this increase my salary or not? There are no metrics, no goals. Some mo- other companies, more sophisticated 360 reviews, all of that. But at the end of the day, it's once a year.
3: And that uh, takes <laughs> a lot of work to do those 360s. Right. I think if we just scrap it, there are some companies that have done that. And what we need instead are this rapid feedback, informal feedback on how we're totally. doing. And so I call it the learning loop. And so back to my data, the people who were practicing or doing that learning loop while they were working, yeah. they had a faster rate of improvement than others. And so ultimately they would perform better. Yeah, makes and sense. We, I mean, And you can do this at all levels. I have this fascinating story of a uh, supervisor of the food served at a hospital in Southern California. It's not a very high level job, uh, but she wanted to uh, it improve her department to be better in terms of food quality that is hot and it's the right kind of food for the patients in the hospital. And her team didn't provide any ideas. So they weren't really performing better. The f- they were measuring food quality, asking patients what they thought. it wasn't very good. It was kind of flat. But then she came up with this idea. I'm going to have these idea sessions with my team. And I'm going to ask them questions so that they will come up with ideas. But he, she said, I, haven't, I don't know how to ask questions. So then she got a, actually got a coach who was observing her in these meetings. And she started a learning loop. First meeting. She asked a bad question, nobody came up with the idea. Okay, feedback. How can we tinker with a question? Second, meeting, different question. All right, a little better. Okay, third, another question. Other techniques, other techniques. She kept at it. It's great. Over a period of 12 months, and they produced 120 new ideas, hmm. 80 of which were implemented. And now she's a star performer in that hospital. She go. basically took the page from an athlete and said, I'm
2: going to do yeah. what Tiger Woods da- does in my department. And this is what we do a lot of times after every project, mm-hmm. an experience transformer. That's exactly hey. right. what worked? What, what didn't? What didn't? How could we improve it? Let's fix the process.
1: And share that information Absolutely. so that other people learn from That's it.
2: That's a great technique. But people, they, they run to
3: the next project. They don't have time to do it. They That's don't. the problem. Well,
1: they also, something that we found, um, a lot of people also can't uh, acknowledge for themselves when they've achieved and accomplished because it's part of their job. And we think positive momentum moving forward, looking at what was achieved, and in the same way dissecting it and saying, this was great, why was it great? How do we make this repeatable? How do we share it so others
3: know? Does that make sense? You need that positive reinforcement. Otherwise, people will not continue. Right? So back to that super food supervisor. They got a few ideas that worked. People saying, hey, this is getting better. I've got to produce some next ideas, next meeting. Yeah. Right? And you get the, the cycle exactly,
2: going. Exactly.
3: Exactly. Go ahead, JJ.
2: No, after you.
1: <laughs> Listeners, we have a gift. He's sitting here with us tonight in the studio, but we can share this gift with you. We have five <laughs> copies of Professor Hansen's book, Great at Work, and if you want to work smarter, not harder. And if you're one of the first five listeners, to email me at dk at gutwizdom, not while you're driving it is free and and professor Hansen again for our listeners how do people find you and actually participate in your research study
3: so they can go to my website where we got a number of additional tools including a quiz that you can take and benchmark yourself vis-a-vis the 5000 people in our study and the website is www.mortenhansen.com and that is spelled dot com, And we'll have it up tools. on... Yeah, and we'll, yeah. we're going to be
1: promoting you on our Gut Wisdom website. We're going to have a blog that comes out. We'll have your seven principles from the research study, how to get the book, plus the five books we're giving away.
2: Uh, yeah, so, let's so give amazing. A big tha- let's give a big thank you to totally. Professor Morton Hansen. Not enough time For sharing together. with us uh, tonight all of his wisdoms. I think we're definitely going to have you... Come back again and yeah. join us. live We'd show, live yeah, show. Yeah, definitely. And also, let's give a big thank you to all of our listeners on WCBS News Radio 880. We love your feedback. Please share more with us. Uh, also, if you've missed the beginning of tonight's show, you can download this show and previous previously aired episodes from either our website, gutwisdom.com, or... Go to iTunes. We have thousands of downloads. Like over 8,000
1: downloads. It's amazing. It's
2: like, who's downloading this stuff? I think Eric
1: said it was his mother who downloaded 8,000 times?
2: What? (laughs) 7,998. And you and I were the other two.
1: (laughs) No, it's very cool. So iTunes, you can download the uh, previously aired uh, episodes that are on podcast. We want to thank you again, Professor Morton. Hansen and um, I think our blog uh, about this episode that'll come out on Monday will focus on your seven principles of how we can all work smarter, not harder and uh, and of course participate in your assessment We want to put that information out as well. All right you've been listening to gut wisdom radio that resonates only on WCBS News Radio 880. Have an amazing Saturday night.
0: You've been listening to Gut Wisdom on WCBS News Radio 880. Gut Wisdom comes your way every Saturday night at 7 p.m. on WCBS 880 or anytime at gutwisdom.com. That's wisdom spelled with a Z.